Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Hey there, folks. Welcome today. My name is Anthony Taylor, and this is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. SME Strategy facilitates and help organizations create and implement their strategic plans. And I'm super excited to be joined by my guest today, Jazz Pablo. Jazz, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Oh, I'm stoked. I know we, we caught up a couple of weeks back and, and you're a listener of the podcast. And now I get to interview you and somebody who is also in maybe not my hometown, but home province of BC. So before we get into our conversation, I just want to let everybody know. So Jazz is the CIO and Director of Information Services at the City of Kelowna. So he's got a dual role there. He's got experience in different cities as well as the private industry. And I'm just excited to talk to him about, you know, the future of, of business and cities and technology and all that stuff. So Jazz, why don't you give people a little bit more context and then we'll get into the interview. Yeah, for sure. So I'm born and raised in Kelowna. I started in the private sector here and it was, you know, I had a great run, got to meet a lot of different businesses, understood in the private sector, how organizations like to work and, and how they want to interact. And then I decided I need to move to a little bit of a bigger, a bigger environment or, or a city that was growing. So we shipped it over to Saskatoon. Ended up working in private there and then transitioned to the city of Saskatoon. Uh, city of Saskatoon, for those that don't know, uh, largest city in Saskatchewan, roughly about 350,000 people. So it's a pretty large city in Canadian context anyways. And then, you know, finished things off at the University of Saskatchewan before coming back home. And so, you know, learned a lot from, from my experiences there and, and very thankful for all those folks I've met. But yeah, just excited to see sort of what's the future hold for cities and, and government. That's awesome. So we could delve into technology. I want to sort of say, like, what is the thing that keeps you busiest in your role? Like, what is sort of your your modus operandi, your mission? What, like, drives you on a day-to-day basis? And then we'll get into uh, some more questions. Yeah, I, I guess, really, the couple of things I think about almost on a daily basis. Number one is is how do we make sure we secure our digital assets? And so cybersecurity is a, is a really big one because you could have all the great projects in, in digital transformation and and all those sensors out there to, to tell a story, but it all means nothing if, if once you go through that cyber attack. So that's definitely one of those those key items, and really focusing on our, our base business and, and, and key city services as well. So water, for example, you know what is my role in that? Make sure the systems are up and running, and then really like what does the future hold? And and this pandemic has changed everything sort of in a dime for cities right away, and so. Yeah, there's definitely protecting citizen information and digital assets is definitely top of mind. 
Mm. So I, I sort of hear it as like there's sort of two parts to it because there's the digital transformation. And if we use like a sports analogy, it's the offense side of things. And then there's the like cybersecurity protecting your assets defense side of things. Is that like a kind of a good way to look at it or how do you look at it internally? Yeah, so it's, it's well, I kind of look at it that way or, or a little bit like a house. There's a foundation that, that holds everything together and the pieces on top is what is what the citizens see. So they might not see the efforts that we put in around cybersecurity, but they might see how we how we take in service requests, for example. But that cybersecurity is core. Otherwise, there's no services to actually to do when it comes if there's an issue. So definitely there is, there's a couple of sides to to IT. And, and from, a, from a city perspective, one thing that is, is not quite common knowledge out there is that municipalities, they don't have one line of business. There's sometimes up, upwards of 25 different things we do for a citizen. So it's a very unique business model. And IT, along with other uh, service providers like finance and HR, you got to be able to be experts in almost all those to support. And same thing goes to protecting those assets as well. Hmm. So let's let's take one of those. Let's look at digital transformation. Let's look at like the lines of business and, and serving your stakeholders. What are some of the key considerations that you and your team go through as you're figuring out, you know, what is our digital transformation strategy? You know, how do we approach it? And then how do we serve people both now and in the future? And then we'll go from there. I think the big shift you're seeing with digital transformation definitely is it's a citizen first model. And we have to understand what our citizens are looking for, how they actually want to consume city services, and then organize behind the scenes to give that, give that one citizen experience to everybody. So when you you come to our city website or if you come to City Hall, you shouldn't have to go from here to here to here to consume our city services. You should be able to go to one spot and get the answer you need. And that's really our focus is what's that best experience for the citizen? Because if it's easy to do, they're going to keep continue to come back. And really, we really are focusing on that. And that's really tied to being just a smarter city as well. Mm. And do you find that if we think of moving from analog to digital in some of those, you know, as, as a CIO and as somebody who's worked in these different organizations, are there any challenges with getting everybody on board with that? Because you could be seen as a cost center. You know, how do you manage that? Hey, we want to provide the best services for our citizens while also managing budget constraints and then sort of competing priorities within the city. Yeah, And, and so when you have multiple lines of business, each one of those lines of businesses has their own process. Yeah. To really deliver that that service to the citizens, from an IT perspective, is is how do we understand those lines of businesses so we can s- support our internal partners because at the end of the day they're the ones that are delivering the service. But really bringing all that integration together to give that same seamless experience to our, our citizens that's really that's really the challenge we face and it'll be a challenge we face forever uh, as cities grow and and bridges. We're looking for points of integration and collaboration and that's where the people part of it really comes through. Hmm. On a day-to-day basis, like obviously stakeholder management is key. Do you consider the, and maybe it changes depending on the organization, do you consider the citizen your key stakeholder? Do you consider your internal department's key stakeholders? Like how do you manage that relationship in your head? It's everybody, man. And and for us, really, we focus primarily on supporting our internal business partners to ensure, because they've got that key relationship with that citizen. So we, we work with them to understand how do you want the services to be delivered? What are your processes? But IT now is, is really transforming. And now we're starting to interact with our citizens and starting to understand, okay, well, we put it, for example, we put a chatbot out there just to give COVID information to everybody related to the city. 
one of the things we realized right away was, boy, there's a lot of interaction happening on our chatbot that's non-COVID related. And so people are now wanting to interact with us in a whole different manner. And this, this pandemic's driving a lot of that. But at the end of the day, when that citizen logs into that chatbot, they see one city. They don't see 25 different departments. And so how do we work together behind the scenes to give that information, to give that seamless experience? And so it's a lot of relationship building. I spend a lot of time building relationships and maintaining them, collaborating on projects and just and making sure that we, we're all sort of getting what we want out of a project and just delivering the best product to our citizens. Mm. I mean, I think that's super relevant and important on like the output. You know, we've got people from around the world on this call right now. So shout out Kenya, Fiji, Kelowna, Saskatoon, Medicine Hat, you know, for all these people that are like wanting to get to that point, because it sounds like, you know, this has been a, a, a journey. Where did it all start? What are some of the conversations you had to have internally in order to get to that point? And if you have like sort of two or three key takeaways for people in terms of like being able to deliver that customer-centric kind of city experience. Yeah, and I, I think it really started back when I was in Saskatchewan and we started rolling out, you know, citizen services or, or the ability to, to interact with our citizens. And we, we would have these conversations sort of, uh, you know, behind the scenes or in these boardrooms, but we weren't really understanding what the outcome was supposed to be or what was the experience the citizen wanted. And so when we would make a change, one of the things we learned is, why is this not, why is the engagement not where it's supposed to be? When you sort of, when you're innovating, you got to quickly fail and, and move forward. And it's no different in cities as well. Once we started to really understand how the citizens wanted to be engaged and we got that feedback, our engagement level started to increase on some of these services. And we're now doing that here in the city of Kelowna is we're really trying to understand what the citizens are looking for. So before we do our next change on our website, we're not just doing it because we think it's right. We're doing it because everybody's telling us, right? So understanding your citizens and how they want to interact with City Hall is super key. You, you can't just assume that you think you know, you really need to engage and understand, and then you'll be able to hit the mark every time. And do you find that that like approach to being citizen-centric, does that, you know, without giving any secrets away, does that apply just within the IT department at your, at your work? Or is it like entire across the entire city that you've adopted that like sort of citizen-first culture? Yeah, our vision and values is really around innovation and working as one team. And right from the top down, you know, we're really citizen focused. It's, it's what's best for our citizen. How do we deliver that service? And then having to regroup behind and just making those right changes to bring forward. Like I said, when you have 25 to 30 different lines of business, it can be a challenge sometimes. Every city faces that challenge and there's no point of sort of hiding behind it. Mm. But at the same time, that collaboration and relationship building. But if you have one sort of North Star, you have one compass that you can go towards. And if that's the citizens, well, th that's a really great conversation starter because you can't argue that that's what the citizen wants. And, and at City's point of view, everybody can point to that and say, well, that's what the citizen wants. Let's all go towards that. Cool. So it sounds like, again, rooted rooted in, in communicating and stakeholder engagement. How do you guys, let's say, like looking forward, what are you guys seeing being next about like engaging with people, really having those conversations? And it also sounds like being responsive is really important to, to how you and your team approach things. Yeah, those the, the new digital channels that are coming out that aren't maybe necessarily new for the consumers, but they are becoming forefront for either private or the public sector. And social media plays a big role in that. So if, if, if a citizen says, you know, I've got I see this piece of graffiti and they post it on Twitter or if they post it on Instagram. How does how do cities get that information and automatically make a service request? 
in order to tear up somebody. And so that citizen doesn't have to now go to another layer and then reach out to us. So how do we go out and understand what the citizens are saying with this information that they're posting out there on their own? And really things like the chatbot or, or, you know, redesigning websites so it's easier to interact. Those are sort of the key, key elements that's really going to change the experience that citizens have with us. Because right now, for a lot of organizations, is your is your city website sort of a go-to spot for your citizens for their everyday thing? And if it's not, well, how do you provide that information so it is? Mm. Yeah, I think it's as like for-profit businesses, when they look at sort of making those decisions, many of them are sort of customer-centric. They say, okay, well, I need to have a competitive advantage. I need to be able to serve my customer better than my competitor or than my competitors. Otherwise they'll leave. In the city realm, I imagine, like, they probably won't leave because of your city website being poor. But I think the overall experience and, and willingness to engage increases if you make it easier for them to do so, which is probably from a city what you want. You want engaged citizens, you want happy citizens, and you want to be able to address things, I would assert, proactively versus reactively. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in the private sector, you can have performance measures around revenue and profit at the end of the year and then celebrate because you've made those changes and you're able to get those customers. Performance measures for cities are, are going to be around customer service satisfaction. Like how did your citizens feel when they interacted with you? What's the level of engagement? And and really, are your service requests being consumed? So are, the, are citizens actually going in and, and interacting with you? Are they actually consuming your city services? Are your... You know, your rec centers, are they full all the time? These are the kind of performance measures you need. And if your digital transformation is right, it's easy to consume these services. You'll start to see that, you know, the changes you're making are actually coming true. Hmm. So in terms of KPIs and dashboards, how do you and your team both have your IT dashboard? How does, like, you have an organizational-wide dashboard? How does the dashboard and the KPIs drive decision-making in your organization and and how does how's that working yeah so we've got uh, several dashboards when it comes to say finance or, or hr information we also have lots of different dashboards that support our emergency operations center so lake levels snow pillows lots of different things because cities are also responsible to to make sure the creeks that run through are, are not going to flood a, a community as well and so those dashboards are really used to help make decisions or to actually understand and one of the things now we're getting into is taking those dashboards and actually doing predictive analysis to actually understand, okay, how can we predict the flood? And, and that's the current project we're doing and, and we're, we're openly sharing with everybody because it's really gonna be uh, the wave of the future, all this data that the cities collect. And there's a lot of data that we collect. How do we actually make it useful to help we make those decisions? And so we've got a lot of great dashboards uh, operationally and, and our senior leadership team refers to it all the time and that's how they make decisions. And now you're seeing that transformation happen. How do we make operational decisions immediately with that data? And, and cities are going to be put on the spot here to give that information to the internal business partners to help sort of drive that that citizen satisfaction as well. Hmm. How do you find that that data when shared, like how does that, I want to say like establish or build trust and relationships with other stakeholders, like let's say like a business or, you know, somebody else, like, What's like the sort of experience that you get from approaching your business that way? And, and, and it's twofold. Sometimes the business comes to us as well. And one of the things we're mindful of is things around data governance and quality of data and ensuring that it is the right data. But once that data it goes through that and, and it's cleaned up and, and it's the right data, you get really great feedback from internal business partners because now they actually understand their business a little bit more. 
and they can make the right changes to improve that citizen experience as well. Mm. I think it's really cool. Just like how you're like, as an IT person, it's not just the systems, but it's like the, the business intelligence of getting the data. Like you're measuring all the time. Are we doing this well? And it sounds like one of the key measures of, well, feedback is the feedback. Are we getting feedback? And if we are getting feedback, that's a win instead of just like putting something out there and like hoping for the best. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting. The, the role of, of IT leaders was changing up to a couple of years ago. And that hit the fast forward button when that pandemic hit, because all of a sudden city halls were shut down, but people still wanted to build their swimming pools or they wanted to you know, start a basement construction and you can't come into city hall. And so for those cities that weren't online, they had to shift to get that information online and, and accept that a, a large sum of payment as well. And so the role of, uh, of an IT leader has to get away from just that systems or desktops because Technology has never been easier to consume, and that type of technology is now quite well-polished and, and easy available, and it's, it's much more reliable than it was, say, 20 years ago. So the role of IT leaders has to be towards that business digital transformation, getting in there and understanding those business processes and using your, that technical knowledge to translate it back into change. But those sort of those systems and things, and you know, cloud has completely changed the world, and it's going to change local government as well. And with technology never being so easy to consume, how do you at that forefront of that, that business process change and not necessarily working on behind the scenes on that data center stuff? Because that's, that riddle has been solved a long time ago. And we have to now think a little bit uh, more progressive in, in helping our business partners transform. Cool. I love that. If anybody has any questions, Marty's got a question. I'm going to save it for a little bit. But if anybody has a question, put it in there. Before we go to questions, I want to ask you, and we talked about like that engagement and that looking forward and, and really being, you know, proactive. What about some of the, like that defense part, the talk part we talked about, like cybersecurity, either, you know, obviously the risks are very clear, but some people sort of see them as risks and some people don't, you know, what are some of the core considerations that you as a team have when you're looking at sort of where you invest? Like, how do you approach cybersecurity as a strategy, especially since you keep adding, 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 how do you support having that foundation on the back end? Yeah, our cybersecurity strategies are, are transforming as quick as the business is transforming. So back in the day, you might you might only be protecting sort of that, that network or that data center. But now all of a sudden, when you, you start to consume these software as a service options into the cloud, and it's very easy to buy a piece of application. So now all of a sudden, your data is extended out there or your, your infrastructure is extended out there. Your cybersecurity strategy has to transform and meet that need as well. And that's one of the challenges that, that uh, IT leaders are facing is, is how, does, how do you create a cybersecurity strategy that's more of a framework that can react to the changes of the corporation versus saying, we're going to install this piece of equipment and then just leave it there. And that's one of the things that we're going through right now is, is, is that education, that training, you know, working on pri uh, privacy impact assessments. So we understand where our data is and is it being protected and putting that rigor in place so that we're protecting ourselves beforehand. But really, cybersecurity is, is going to turn into some, uh, some sort of a framework opportunity because you're going to always be transforming as, as technology transforms. And, and your cybersecurity strategy two years ago might not mean anything because technology changes two years later. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, like when we talk about the, the time frames and you and I are you know, relatively young, looking at cybersecurity is like some people are like, oh, you know, this is probably not going to happen. 
like it's being proactive and saying, okay, yeah, we're guarding against it. And the way I sort of hear you say it is like, we need to have cybersecurity be uh, like a for something on the forefront, not like an afterthought. Like we need to have these th- two things building because if you build one and the security isn't following, like you're just, you're risking that. So you cannot build this without having this, the security to follow. And I think it doesn't just apply to cities. I think it probably applies to all businesses. Am I getting like what you're putting out there? hundred percent. We're actively testing our, our inputs that we have just to understand what are our vulnerabilities. And, and we put a lot of, we're starting to put a lot of energy and we have been up to this point protecting it. And that's every organization that work for, whether it's the city of Saskatoon or the university of Saskatchewan, where you have this robust cybersecurity team that is proactively looking for holes to, to manage because it is inevitable. You will be attacked. You will be targeted one day. It might not be the IT department, but it might be your business partners in some sort of a social engineering campaign. And at the end of the day, the organization is responsible at a senior level to, to you know, provide that information. And that falls on IT. And so one of the, and one of the things we do is, is a lot of education around phishing. And, and because that social engineering is, is such a big part, not just email, but phone calls as well. You're starting to hear these, these individuals just be very patient, almost six, seven months just going over it, learning your environment, and then making that attack. It, it's, it's tough, right? But you got to have a framework and a proactive approach so you can be reactive a little bit better. Hmm. What is, this might be a dumb question, because you mentioned that it is inevitable. You know, like, there's a cost to it. And the cost is sometimes, like, it feels like a like an esoteric thing. Yeah. So, like, why should we, why should we put the, like, if it's going to happen, like, what's the point of putting it, put the investment there. If it's just going to happen, it's going to be inevitable. Like what's the point? What's the damage that could be done if we don't have the sufficient amount of security? Like what, what happens if we get fished? Is it really that bad? Well, it can be that bad. And especially with the cybersecurity criminals dealing uh, primarily in cryptocurrency. I mean, the sky's the limit for with the size of the transaction they want to do. The reason it is important and the reason you do want to plan it's what's your response when something happens. And if your response is to cave in and, and, and sort of interact with these, these uh, individuals that are compromising, then you need a different strategy. But if you've got a policy in place to say that you know, we, we don't interact, well, you need a strategy to say, okay, what am I going to do to get out of this mess? And so you have to be proactive. You do have to plan. And you, strategically, you got to be ready for everything. And, and IT is growing to that point where you do you do need to be ready because there's so many different ways to consume technology and you you can't also be a roadblock for that digital transformation so as important as cybersecurity is it also can't stop you from innovating and moving forward so there's that fine balance you got to find in place and that's a tough equation for IT leaders yeah because I, I part of me still sees it as like a oh it, it it'll never happen to me kind of experience and, and I'm not in the same position but we talk to people that say oh yeah you know we've already been hacked once like how bad could it be if it happens again but you know there's obviously reputational risk there's money risk there's shutdown risk and then there's transformation risk and all of that stuff so I mean we could probably go on for a while anything else that you want to share yeah and I guess just to just so people realize how real it is I'm on the national subcommittee of CIOs for cybersecurity with the federal government and the threat is real. And you're starting to see it in the States as well, where um, the current administration is now talking about cybersecurity threats being equal to 9-11 and ransomware attacks being equal to 9-11, because that's how, that's how serious it is. You see pipelines being shut down. 
the more water is being monitored by technology, the more electricity is being monitored by technology, and that digital transformations happens in those utilities. Well, it's great because it's efficient and it's and, and it provides that service. It's also about that double-edged sword because that digital transformation now opens the door for you to be compromised as well. And so you got to do your due diligence to find that balance. And so it's, it's a never-ending battle in, in IT. Yeah, I think again, for profit or not for profit businesses, you know, if you're, you're holding people's health records, you know, you're at risk. If you've got customer data, you're at risk and really having that, that strategy in place is, is critical. So Jazz, I'm going to get into some questions and then, uh, we can just keep going from there. So Marty asks, uh, have you piloted any social media mood monitoring platforms or tools? And what are your thoughts around that? We have, we're actually testing one out for, for the next year or so here and it's gone really well. It's amazing how much data is in and is available out there. And once again, it's unidentifiable. So we're not pulling any names. We have no idea who the citizens are. We're just taking the emotions, those those smiley faces, all that, and the interactions and the reactions. And what we do is when we run certain campaigns or or we're just trying to understand what the community's sort of feeling at an overall sense, say for COVID or or whatever sort of projects we have going. This tool just gives us just an idea of what, what's actually happening in the community. And so it's the voice that doesn't get heard through social media. We're just taking that data and we're, we're now putting lenses on it to say, this is what the citizens are actually talking about. This is what the citizens are actually feeling. And it's just a different way to look at stuff. It's not, you can't use it as the only source of truth, but it's a great indicator on, on how you're doing. And, and we're really pleased with some of the results we're seeing. And you find that like drives business cases, like it's when you put something together and you're like, okay, like, do you find you get better buy-in after the fact that like, yes, like, great. We, you know, it, it makes the process smoother. What have you found as an outcome because you're doing this social listening? Yeah. Just being sort of so real early in this, we're only about two, three months in. One of the things we're noticing is we're just looking at it right now as sort of reference material is, so we put this, this new project out there. What is what are the citizens saying? And so we're, instead of just taking one point of view or, or maybe one form, you've now got all these social media forms that are giving you the, the actual picture. And then when you read that data, you can then make the next decision. And our communications department, we're using it in IT as, as well because we're trying to understand are people complaining about a certain service? Or is if someone says, you know, I found this piece of graffiti on this wall and here's the address. Well, can I not pull that information and make it a service request and send it to the to the relevant business unit so the citizen doesn't have to log on to do it? And that's the type of testing we're doing right now, just to give that even more enhanced citizen experience. Hmm. I was trying to think of, you know, what that experience would be. Like I would imagine not being in it is like you stop wasting money on stuff like you spend money where it needs to be addressed, where you're going to have because, you know, government can have waste. I'm sure the city of Kelowna doesn't, but some governments, you know, might waste. And so really being able to say, hey, where we can see that there's an urgent need on this now, let's make a difference. And for politicians and organizations saying, hey, yeah able to tangibly prove and then potentially get you reelected. The, the caution I, I give to people is not all our citizens are on social media. And so when you see services happen or you're wondering why is this being done, it's because it's part of a bigger plan. We've done the engagement and, and we've done it. And sometimes that doesn't get realized. And so that's when, you know, certain people have certain opinions. But it is quite remarkable how much effort cities are putting in to understand the, the amount of cost that go into something. because. When we look at delivering services or we see something, we definitely think of citizens as being taxpayers. 
before we make that decision. And we take that very seriously. And any feedback we get, we use it to sort of align, right? But yeah, it's it's something that's front and center for us as well. Awesome. If anybody has any more questions for Jazz, please put them in the chat, whether you're on YouTube or uh, online with us right now. Uh, Ryan has a question. It says, has the city, and this is a build from what we're talking about, has the city of Kelowna put any thought into how you shift from a push mechanism versus a pull mechanism to engage the citizens? Better, stronger engagement by harnessing data, representing a 360 view of your citizen. So you talk a little bit about that, but then there's also the citizens that aren't on sort of technologically enabled platforms. So how do you engage with that? And then how do you balance the push-pull? Yeah, our communications department has several ways to engage our citizens of all different age groups and demographics. And they they do a really good job of understanding sort of how people feel about certain services. You have to find that balance, right? Because there's there's a lot of data out there and you got to work with providers to sort of understand what this data is telling you so you can pull that data in. But you also have to go the other way as well. And once you find that balance, uh, you can get the right information to make the right decisions. But it, it's a challenge, especially on cities that are growing. Like, I mean, if you look at it, like a Vancouver or a Surrey, San Jose, San Francisco, I, I talked to some of those cities. When you have millions of people living in the city, you got to find that there's not just one way to do it. You got to have multiple ways to engage citizens, bring that data together to actually understand what the big picture is. Hmm, absolutely. And especially as the changes are happening, you know, the ones that have like net migration, you know, they're moving around. And so it's interesting how like the, the changing needs of citizens and then also like to react to the changing sort of consumer needs of what they're like expecting. Like I can get something delivered in two days. Well, why can't I get the city to tell me about a building permit or where my water line is? Well, it's, it's changing demographics as well. Right. You're having immigration speed up here in Canada. So you're seeing different walks of life coming into different cities. How do you engage with those citizens as well? Because they've got equal rights just as much as everybody else does. And so it's about using the different types of channels and communicating out correctly. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the sort of interesting, I don't know if it's a resurgence or coming in like the public private partnerships, like triple P's, and then like engaging with different groups. So Simon asks uh, about open data and how the city of Kelowna is using it to partner with other entities. So you obviously don't need to talk too much about that, but you know, your experience around open data and, and partnerships. I think open data doesn't go far enough. It's more around open government is how do you share not just data, but value added data to the citizens so they can they can innovate or, or they can understand what's happening. We're taking data and open data very seriously here. And, and you're going to as residents of Kelowna worth working with data. You're going to start to see just better quality data, also data around the environment as well. Climate change is a big part of it. So we want to share that with our partners. We partner with universities on, on different projects all the time just to just to drive that innovation. But open data and, and, and open government is something that a lot of cities are focusing on, and, and rightfully so, because the data does belong to the citizens at the end of the day. We just have to be mindful that we protect the identity and the personal information of citizens. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the, you know, the changing demographics of, of what one would expect. Younger generations might expect and, and demand more transparency, whereas, you know, a more traditional style of government or information sharing might be, you know, preferred by, by a different socioeconomic group. We've got a question in, in around, you know, the question is, do governments follow Scrum? So I don't know if you can speak from your experience. It's a pretty general question, but, you know, what is the approach to project management, project implementation, what have you seen worked? And, you know, what have you seen not worked? Maybe we can expand on that one. Yeah, so City of Kelowna and our IT department, we're all in on Agile and Scrum. And we're going to be changing towards that just because 
this sort of waterfall met- methodology just doesn't work when technology and processes change so often. And so Agile allows for that flexibility. And so we're making a big push for that. We've actually requested any of the, our consulting partners or vendors we work with. We're starting to see a lot of them go towards the Scrum mentality. So you see a lot of those Scrum meetings every morning. It's working really well for us. The other part of it that's a big change is DevOps. And just that development and agile development is big for us because we need to be able to, to meet the citizen needs, not a year from now, but sort of right away. And, and both those sort of uh, methodologies really play well to that. Sweet. I love that. Man, you've been on fire today. Uh, anything that you want to li- tell our listeners about our audience, rather, about, you know, these considerations, you know, your sort of perspective as somebody who's leading technology in an organization, any other sort of final words of wisdom for people to take away with them to, to develop their skills, strategies and strengths? Yeah, the one thing I can give, and it's, it's really for, for all the business leaders or IT leaders specifically, is Really start to engage your community a little bit different. Don't don't just sit back and, and wait for that innovation to happen. Be that driving change. This risk-adverse sort of mentality that governments may have had decades ago, that's changed. Citizens are going to demand more. I think with politics being what it is, people are going to start to engage local government differently, and they're going to want to understand things and, and see that transparency, as you mentioned. So don't be afraid to just engage your citizens and understand it and get engaged in things. I, I was part of a project last year just to understand the feasibility and, and what we can do to help the homelessness situation here in Kelowna as well. And that's that's a very data-driven project. And so why shouldn't IT be at the table? But they'll only be at the tables if you're willing to to know to step up and step and you know step in. And so I just encourage everybody just to to get engaged, listen to the citizens, and don't be afraid to try something. Mm. I really like that. Not only like getting invited to the table, like wanting to be at the table and then like listening while you're at the table, because that's going to help you like define your strategy and really make sure that you're most effective. Nobody wants to be ineffective. So you got to make sure you got the right information. And I think that's that's central to what I, I heard from you today, Jazz. So where can people get a hold of you? Where can they learn more about what you're doing? Where can they, uh, you know, pick your brain a little bit more and get all the juicy thoughts you got in there? Yeah, I uh, I actually uh, have a blog and I and I write almost uh, on a regular basis. So if anybody wants to get a hold of me, all my channels and everything are there. So it's aslife aslife.ca. Check out the blog. I, I write uh, try to write once a month or so, time permitting, and all my social media channels are there as well. So anybody that wants to engage or have a conversation about you know digital transformation, technology, leadership, um, I'm always here to talk. That's awesome. Well, I just so appreciate you being here today, Jazz, and appreciate you being a listener on top of that, but really just like sharing what you see, calling it how you see it, and really like pushing people to take the next step where, especially in a sort of structure or system that could be a little bit old school. So I think you've made it really approachable, really easy for people to uh, to grasp on. If anybody has any other question, put that in there. And Jazz, what was the, the your blog uh, address again? AS Life, so that's aslife.ca. Aslife.ca. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was jazzlife.ca. No. <laughs> okay, perfect. Just just double checking. So thank you, Jason, for checking in on that one. Everybody, thank uh, my guest, Jazz Pablo, who is the CIO and Director of Information Services at the City in Kelowna of Kelowna. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast interview. Thank you, Jazz. It's been such a blast, and I just really appreciate you sharing. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. 
Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful, and we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95, and you can get instant access to all of the videos, plus you can use the code PODCAST for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know, and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.